as Matthew touched on, superannuation funds have a huge challenge in this 2020 and this Q1 of the coronavirus. So to chair uh, this next session, an all-star panel, it gives me great pleasure to introduce David Bell, who's the Executive Director of the Connexus Institute, an institute that's independent and has a great deal of advocacy and research to offer Australia. Over to you, David. Thanks, Lawrence, and um, hi, everyone. The last session reflected on many fascinating examples of the floor of averages. This session is all about how investment managers design and manage retirement portfolios to deal with variability in, in returns. So decumulation is a complicated process that can vary across funds depending on their inflows, their member base, and the nature of their liabilities. To help me discuss this, I have got a great panel, I'm, I'm blessed with that. Um, I'm joined by Jackie Ellis, Portfolio Manager of Retirement Strategies for State Super, Chris Plater, Chief Executive and, and Chief Investment Officer of Challenger Life, and then Charles Wu, Deputy Chief Investment Officer and General Manager of Decumulation Investments at State Super. So thanks, thanks for joining me. First of all, um, just running across the panel, and we do have a number of issues to get through, so each of the topics will be reasonably um, addressed in a reasonably punchy manner. Can each of you describe your per current personal opera operational status? How are you? How are your firms coping in the current crisis? What's changed with how you're allocating your time? So perhaps uh, start with you, Charles. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you. I have to say this is definitely my first experience in terms of doing a virtual conference. Uh, we uh, State Super started working from home about three weeks ago, so we're basically live testing our BCP and our IT infrastructure. Suffice to say, uh, we're all going really well. Uh, in terms of how we're actually allocating the time nowadays, um, it, it's, it's to be quite frank, it's similar to when we're in the office. We spend a lot more time. Uh, we only have two objectives for our fund. Uh, one is to ensure that we pay uh, the benefit payments when they for due, and the second is to ensure that members has a smooth journey when they're with us. And that focus has never changed. So in terms of the time, we spend a lot more time in formulating an investment strategy that uh, demonstrates robustness, resilience, and defensiveness while maintaining liquidity in this environment. Over to you, Chris. Yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks, David. Um, yeah, I think, look, a pretty common story, working from home for about a week for myself now. You know, essentially, our whole um, company is working from home. Uh, and, yeah, that's working really well. It's amazing how well some of this technology works, actually. Um, and, you know, I've had a few really large-scale video conferences, um, you know, like not, not to this degree, but, you know, they've all – it's, it's that's a, quite amazing how well they work. So that's been great. Um, you know, I think yeah, a couple of thoughts, things I'd say, one thing we've been turning our minds a little bit to is sort of um, the question of backup, uh, you know, if, um, this, if the virus really does uh, develop in the community, you know, uh, thinking about um, how we're going to back up for each other if, 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 if a lot of people do get sick. Um, but outside of that, I think it's kind of, you know, as um, same for Charles, sort of the, the normal, normal sort of day. Um, you know, beyond that, I have to say... Um, it's kind of a little bit enjoyable going and checking in on my kids, my teenage kids at lunch and seeing, seeing how their studies are going, um, so seeing a slightly different side of, of their life. So, um, you know, there's definitely some upsides to it. Yeah. Glad, glad you're seeing those positives, Chris. And, um, and how about you, Jackie? Um, thanks, David. Um, I guess I'd echo the same. I've been working from home for oh, almost two weeks now. Uh, it's quite amazing how quickly you can adapt to a new normal. That's uh, 
definitely one insight I've got. I have a head headset uh, in here to shelter everyone from the noise of my two and four year old. So I would say that my life is infinitely busier attempting to work from home than it ever was in the now as I understand it luxurious position of working from an office. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. So when it comes to investment management of retirement portfolios, we essentially have two situations. First is guaranteed payments, so products such as life annuities and, and defined benefit pensions. The second is non-guaranteed payments, which is essentially account-based pension products. The first has sort of greater certainty of outcomes for consumers, while the second provides flexibility but leaves consumers exposed to risk, obviously um, risk, complexity and uncertainty. This session isn't really about debating the merits of those two approaches, rather it's exploring the nuanced investment management challenges that the portfolio managers of those um, two types styles of products face. So just to set the scene for the audience today, that's sort of what we're digging into here. So beginning with Chris, um, could you please describe the nature of your role as, a, as the overseer of a very large um, portfolio of life annuities? Yeah, sure. Thanks, David. You know, I think, um, and I like to try and always keep things really simple. And at the highest level, you know, we, we are a guaranteed income provider. Um, so my responsibility really in all of that is to protect our shareholders' capital um, and ensure those promises to our customers. Um, so, you know, this means investing our portfolio appropriately to generate a, appropriate return for our shareholders, um, you know, for the risks that they assume whilst offering products that are attractive to our customers. Um, you know, it, it really comes down to that, um, get, getting the right investment mix for the, the, the products and solutions that we offer and, and managing, managing the portfolio to the um, environment that, that, uh, that we find ourselves in. Thanks. And, and over to you, Jackie, um, compared to Chris, um, how is the nature of your role, role different? Um, so I'm the portfolio manager of retirement strategy for First State Super. So I'm part of the investment strategy team there. Um, of our sort of, well, now slightly less than um, $100 billion um, of funds under management, about a quarter of that is in retirement. And so it's a really um, big emphasis for us as a firm and for our members to make sure that we're thinking about um, the, the needs and unique challenges that retirees face um, and, uh, and we, I guess we're fortunate in that we have the scale to be able to take those into account in the way that we manage um, our funds. And I suppose that um, whilst my title really sort of emphasises retirement, um, really what it's come to mean is um, making sure that we're embedding our focus on member outcomes in every aspect of our investment strategy and looking through to the unique needs of our members and making sure we're tailoring the investment strategies we have um, to each of those um, different cohorts of members and looking beyond averages, which I think is something that's come out as a bit of a theme today to the underlying um, cohorts of members we have and um, the, the needs and goals that uh, they're trying to meet. Thanks, Jackie. Um, Charles, obviously State Super has a large heritage of DB, but you're primarily talking on this panel to, um, in your role as um, portfolio manager on the DC retirement products. I mean, to that degree, is there anything you'd add to um, the, the comments of, that Jackie's made? Yeah, um, no, I think we take uh, quite a similar approach in that members' outcomes uh, is paramount to us. 
uh, I, uh, we, we're definitely in that, uh, I guess, a hybrid in that we are with a DC, the uh, uh, we're DC fund where member bears the risk, but the portfolio has uh, a net uh, 4% cash outflow uh, characteristic on year. So we do have to manage that accumulation and the liquidity of the portfolio uh, to ensure mm -hmm. a smooth journey for our members. So um, probably when I look across the, the two styles of products, there's definitely difference in the nature of liabilities. So, um, Chris, the nature of liabilities you're managing against, they're probably known in terms of the level of payment, but you still bear all the mortality risk and everything, which is definitely a, an unknown, um, an unknown, or there's uncertainty there. So um, what, what reflections would you make on, on the liability profile that you're managing against? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I like to think about it in terms of um, a solution. So you can sort of break it down into the components and each of those can be thought of as a, you know, potential solution. Uh, they all revolve obviously around guaranteed income um, uh, for retirees. Um, but, you know, you, so first of all, you can think about just simply, uh, you know, guaranteeing uh, the cash flows over a defined period of time. Um, and that's about um, coming up with an investment strategy and, and taking on the investment risk to deliver those returns and that cash flow profile. Um, and then secondly, you know, it might be, there might be an inflation component to that or it might be a fixed component to that. And so there's the interest rate element that needs to be thought about and managed. Uh, and then finally, you know, there may be a longevity element to be, to be considered as a separate solution about, you know, if we're guaranteeing uh, or we're providing some guarantee around at the lifetime of an individual or a group of individuals. So you can sort of break it down into that, you know, the, the investment risk, the interest rate or inflation components, um, and then the longevity components as part of the, um, you know, the, the, the things that to be considered. That's a really neat way of framing the, the challenges that you face, Chris. Um, thank you. Charles, um, perhaps you can describe the nature of the liability profile that you face and and even if you do think of it as that way, or do you think of it more as an account, effectively an account service that you provide to members, or do you think of it in terms of a liability profile? Yeah, um, so so as mentioned, we're probably a hybrid between, um, I guess, Jackie and Chris in that we do have, uh, the way we model that is we have a member uh, average age of about 56, 57s. We do have a net cash out for positions. Uh, and at the same time, we also have an inflation or a real return objective. So by combining all that, yeah, we do look at uh, the, the liability and the cash out for, but not, not, we do not manage the portfolio strictly to the, L, uh, the, the normal SLI ability type uh, framework. Mm -hmm. Um, Jackie, I didn't realise till recently that First State Super uh, does have a small legacy DB fund, but it shouldn't surprise because a lot of funds tend to have a very small piece to the side, um, given their heritage. I assume you identify some of the same challenges as Charles when you're thinking about the, the liability um, profiling that you, you sort of consider and think about. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to call out here? Um, I guess that maybe just that... Um you know, given the, the bulk of the money, vast bulk of the money that we're managing is in a defined contribution scheme where those sort of, you know, liabilities, if you like, um, in terms of the desired income in retirement for our members are sort of quite individualised and, you know, not known with any certainty because, you know, it really depends on what um, each member chooses to do um, and that can even evolve over time. Um, but having a sleeve of uh, defined benefit scheme as well um, really helps us think through 
um, the, the real asymmetry that um, still faces those retirees in terms of the need to manage risk and return. And um, uh, we found it quite instructive to um, have to manage a DB portfolio and take that ALM, that strict sort of ALM approach um, with those funds for thinking about the sorts of strategies that, um, that we could put in place for our retired members. And so while I've got you there, Jackie, we might move on to the risk management piece. Sure. Obviously, we've just had sessions. We're in an environment where markets are proving highly variable. We've just had a session calling out the floor of averages, which is quite timely here. So um, could you describe the general investment risk management challenges that you face and that, you, that you've sort of embedded into the way you, you manage your portfolios? Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess the... Um, the first thing to note is that, you know, managing money for retirees is fundamentally different to managing money for the accumulation phase. I mean, through the accumulation phase, really, um, it's just all about getting that growth and building up the, the biggest kind of nest egg in retirement that you can, particularly members who are in the early phase, they've really got a very high risk capacity because they're making these contributions which are large relative to their balance and they have this long time horizon before they need any of it. Um, as they um, uh, move towards retirement in that sort of 10-year period in the lead up to retirement, that's when sequencing risk really starts to kick in. So we've done analysis that shows that, um, you know, in that 10-year period progressively, you know, a fall of, say, 10% in your portfolio will have a greater than 10% outcome or impact on your retirement balance. Um, and that's how we think about um, looking at that period where risk really needs to be managed. So we've moved away from just thinking about accumulation versus pension and to actually um, pick up that nuance that uh, retirement is a transition and a journey and that actually we need to be thinking about the need for risk management in a, that more complex way for members as they start that journey towards retirement, not just once they've moved into um, the allocated pension. Um, and I guess uh, aside from thinking about sequencing risk and that reality that you know, as a member, you really can win by losing less, um, you know, because because that um, drawdown has such a significant and lasting impact. I mean, we've done analysis that shows that, you know, if you happen to be one of the retirees that retired just before the GFC, maybe you'd gone and seen your financial planner and you developed a, a plan for how much you draw down in retirement and what that would look like. And then the GFC hit, um, even though we had that sort of, you know, very prolonged period of very strong returns after the GFC, even to the end of last, um, even to the end of 2019, those members would not have ever returned to their plan, that original plan that they'd set unless they adjusted their income. So sequencing risk, we think, is, um, you know, is, is, is critical. And, um, you know, but we also need to make sure that we're providing the sort of returns appropriate to, you know, fund their lifestyle and their goals in retirement and keep pace with inflation and that sort of thing. So it's about a balancing act. Now, unfortunately, risk protection is quite expensive. And so that's something that we talk about a lot is how do we find that right balance, um, particularly in a world where um, individual preferences aren't sort of known with certainty. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, the other sort of big ones, um, you know, some of which Jackie Lennon um, touched on in the last set session are around sort of longevity risk and how do we think about that and how do we help members understand that because it's just fundamentally not well understood in the population um, and, um, and of course, providing the, the liquidity to meet um, their cash flow needs as well. Um, it's a bit of a jigsaw mm -hmm. puzzle in a way. 
Yeah, complex jigsaw puzzle, I'd say. Um, yeah. So, Chris, <laughs> Chris, the, um, the, the set of um, that jigsaw puzzle has different pieces for you, but it's no less complex. And ultimately, it's it's you and your your company that bears all the mm. risk. So, um, mm. what's the risk management framework that you apply? Yeah, look, that's right. So, I'd, um, uh, we're, we're an insurance company. So, what we're doing is insuring, you know, our clients against a range of risks, and, and one of those risks is investment risks, um, or you know, and, and inflation and longevity, as we talked about before. Um, so, you know, um, the last month or so is one of those periods where the life company um, sort of takes the payout, if you if you like. Um, but in terms of you know risk management and how we think about that. Um, you know, I think it starts with having an appropriate investment strategy. Um, so things like cash flow matching is very central to us. Um, looking for investments that are going to match appropriately to the the product set and the and the, the liabilities that we have, uh, and, and then um, uh, you know pricing those risks correctly as well. Pricing those risks in terms of the returns you expect to generate relative to the decisions you're making um, in in terms of investments and also in terms of longevity and those other other types of risks, and then. And then finally, holding holding the right capital buffers, um, holding the right capital buffers, and and then having the financial flexibility um, to adjust, you know, when those um, events happen, as as has been the case, I suppose, over the last over the last month or so. But you know, the the, the overall risk management framework and investment strategy, I think, is is pretty stable for us. Mm-hmm. Do you think, um, Chris, I mean, I was going to mention the capital requirements that apply against your activities. Um, I imagine a lot of your own risk management te- techniques are more advanced than blunt capital capital requirement type rules. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so we, as a regulated entity, you know, as you can imagine, we, there's a lot of time spent on um, on governance, on planning, on stress testing, et cetera. Um, so we, we do a lot of work around that. Um, we spend a lot of time, and one thing that we find really helpful in that respect is scenario tests, or you know, so-called narrative stress tests, where you build a, a narrative of a specific event occurring, and you sort of play that sort of war game that through time. Um, you know, we, we did one of those quite recently, and I have to say it's bearing uncanny resemblance to what's happened over the last month. Not quite the bit about having to work from home, but sort of you know, in terms of market stresses and. <laughs> That kind of thing. Um, so you know, at least we've got a very good rule book and playbook in hand as to what we need to do in these in these scenarios, and, and that's what we've been doing and following. Um, you know, as this thing plays out. I am. Um, thanks heard thanks one for fun, sharing that. I heard one fund manager say last week that um, in terms of their BCP and everything, that they were prepared for a recession, but they'd never really contemplated war, and that this felt much more like war to them than anything yeah. else. And I yeah. thought, gee. It's um, quite unprecedented. Totally. Um, Charles, I might move across to you. Um, so the risk management frameworks that you apply, but maybe more specifically, I might be of interest to the audience, some of the risk management strategies you've applied or that, that have addressed some of the risks that you see um, in your portfolio. And Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so um, I echo both Jackie and Chris's comments in terms of how risk has been handled and how, again, just that sequencing risk, how we, we have to, like, just by having the older uh, uh, members, uh, you do need to be very mindful about the outcome and a sharp drawdown like the one that we've just witnessed and how that can impact members' uh, balance. Now, to bring it back to the risk frameworks, 
Um, we have a relatively, I like to say, straightforward uh, investment risk management framework. So we look at any risk management strategy at two levels. So at the, at the fund level and also at the SA or the, at the manager level. And we can then further break it down by what we call the contractual hedging and also stat, uh, statistical hedging. So let me give you a simple example. Uh, so at the fund level, uh, what we have said is by when we... So we never try to anticipate what the uh, what what the market drawdown would look like, but what we generally would talk about is do we protect the shoulders or do we protect the tail of the distribution? And most of the time, we spend uh, we build a strategy that would focus on managing the what we call the shoulder of the distribution, and that's somewhere between uh, call that five percent to to twenty percent. Um, so everything that we do is generally try to mitigate the impact of that. So at the fund level, uh, the simplest thing is we can then put, for example, a put spreads on or a put option on, and that would then work. That's a contractual hedging which we can set the we can set the strike at a particular point that would provide uh, protection at the at the fund level. Um, at the asset class level, uh, just to kind of switch to to the asset class level, for example, uh, we generally when we appoint manager, we appoint manager with a defensive biases. Uh, whether that's a defensive equities or whether that's a, a, an option writing type strategy. Um, our equity manager, generally, we have a beta of 0.9. And so that's what we're expecting to do now. Uh, it wouldn't be complete if I don't tell you what happened. Uh, normally, uh, happens after the drawdown. So when we go through a drawdown, uh, we always go, uh, we, we always do a postmortem. And uh, I don't think we finished uh, yet with this one, so we can't do the postmortem on that one. Um, this one, but in the last few years, every single drawdown that we would go through a postmortem, and we would then assess what we expect from our manager, or from our investment, and what they actually deliver. Um, and and normally that's a really good way to assess uh, whether you need to rethink about your strategy or not. So I'll stop there. I think just a um, couple of the great examples to pull out there, just across the panel there, you've had some really interesting examples where you've got, in my opinion, three really smart people, but often the, exam the work applications aren't just quantitative, they're actually qualitative, like working through a scenario or doing a post-mortem. So it's really good um, experience there to share, and thank you for that. Just probably want to move on to liquidity risk management and um, maybe start with Jackie there. So um, at a high level... Um, yeah, so the way you design your overall investment strategy, how have you incorporated some liquidity considerations into that, Jackie, into your portfolios? Um, well, probably the, the best example of that, um, you know, given our um, sort of DC focus um, and our focus on members is really, you know, at the member lens um, for retirement, it's really important for retirees to be able to, um, you know, have access to... Um, you know, relatively certain income, at least in the near term, and have the confidence in that critically too. And all of our analysis shows that, you know, being able to stay the course is, you know, fundamentally critical to um, your retirement outcomes. Um, you know, our, our members who um, did switch to cash during the GFC, for example, we showed that invariably they never switched back and so the ongoing long-term effect of that was um, you know really significant so um, when when our members work with our um, 
financial advisors. They'll typically set up an income bucketing approach. Um, and the main benefit of that is really a behavioural risk one where you're, um, and a liquidity um, management tool where you're able to set aside the next few years of income in the income certainty bucket. We have um, purpose-built pre-mixed options that are really designed around um, stability um, or capital stability and income provision um, so that it's sort of um, fit for purpose, if you like. And then those uh, members at times like this, they can be comforted that, well, I'm, I'm set for the next few years and I can just forget about all of this noise and look through it. And, um, you know, it really helps uh, financial advisors hold their hands through these periods and we see much lower levels of switching um, from um, members who have that sort of um, process in place, which, um, you know, is, is really beneficial. I think it's an interesting reflection, Jackie, that um, communication is actually a, a risk management strategy, isn't it? We can sort of see that in this environment at the moment. So um, moving across Absolutely. to you, Chris, just because, um, just because your liabilities are a little more certain in their nature doesn't mean that you don't face liquidity risk management challenges yourself. So maybe you can run through the, the, the approaches that you use yeah. to um, manage liquidity risk. Yeah, sure. And I suppose the, for us, probably mainly it's within the investment portfolio. So, you know, if we, we invest in foreign assets to get some more diversification to our portfolio, so the sort of the, the hedging and, and um, liquidity draws that that creates. Um, and I think the approach for us is it's twofold. One, it's just having that core high quality liquid assets and having an appropriate, you know, um, having the, the level of that set appropriately. And then two, I think, you know, your sort of next level of less liquid but still um, the you know things like corporate bonds that you should expect to be able to sell in more normal conditions that um, you know that you're invested in it's not all in one in one uh, you're not putting all your eggs in one basket so you know the Australian corporate bond market is fairly limited in its size and there's only so much volume that can be traded in that for example so uh, you know we'll also invest in you know North American and, and European corporate bonds as well for example and, and some other you know sort of um, you know AAA, RMBS and things like that. You know, individually, they may not have, there no, may not be too much liquidity, but in aggregate, you know, that you've got the diversification and and there's generally, you know, some ability to access that um, if you need to. It's certainly, you know, I mean, some, the, the stress that we reached at certain points in the last couple of weeks have been, you know, quite extraordinary. You know, even government bonds, um, at, at, at some point, the spreads on those were sort of, you know, more than 10 times what they normally are. So, um it's been an interesting um, learning curve, I think, for a lot of people. That's a, 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 probably an understated way to say that, Chris, but um, thank you for sharing. And um, Charles, I imagine um, you, once these environments and crises take off, you sort of nearly put on a cap of being a, a portfolio manager slash tactical liquidity manager as well. These these separate areas often combine in a, in a situation like this. So. Maybe you could just talk us through some of the um, your activities through this environment, how you've been thinking about liquidity and what you've been seeing and so forth. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, thanks, David. Um, yeah, in terms of the, the liquidity management in the crisis, I think there's a couple of things. The first is at the, at the total fund level, what we generally do is we maintain um, uh, two years of benefit payments in order to um, to to pay um, to pay the members benefit payments when they for due. Uh, in terms of creating uh, additional liquidity, there's definitely a few few things that we do. So let me give you an, a simple example. Um, uh, Aussie dollar. I think that's a simple example in that uh, when you 
the last thing that you want in the current environment is probably Aussie dollar fall sharply and then you have to fund the FX settle, uh, settlements and then pay out from the So in these environments, we've made uh, a very technical decision to actually reduce our overall FX assets or we reduce our hedge ratio. Uh, during this crisis, we're probably as, as lowly hedged as we have been. Uh, and this provides two things. One is it does provide that downside cushion. And so this is part of, again, goes back to our risk management framework. It's one of the statistical hedging, and it just happened that this time it works really nicely. So on one hand, you preserve the capital. On the other hand, you, you mitigate that uh, portfolio drawdown. So this is like a win-win uh, type situation. And just to echo uh, Chris's point earlier in terms of the, the, the spread that is blown out in, in the corporate bond market, uh, again, like some of the North America CEO and things like that, those are the reason why we actually have very little, um, I guess, credit holding. Uh, normally, what we try to do is or physical cash bond holding. Normally, what we try to do we, is we use a lot of derivatives to um, to express our ideas. Now, it does come its own um, liquidity management and cash management issue, uh, but again, relatively, it does provide uh, additional liquidity to the portfolios. Thanks, Charles. Um, we are out of time. I just wanted to call out a good question from Michael Berg um, on, up on the Q&A. He's just making the point that you, know, you have to be careful in a, a crisis scenario adds to the list of possible outcomes, and you might have two or three of these over a lifetime. So it's important to be able to manage through that environment, but also plan for the range of outcomes, most of which will, will be good. So um, that's just another good comment to throw in the mix. Might just finish off with by just asking each of you just to take 20 seconds to perhaps just share a, a hindsight moment that you've just scribbled down on a piece of paper, something that once this crisis settles down, you might revisit as a possible improvement or a reflection for future processes. Uh, maybe start with you, Chris. Okay. Um, I've definitely had plenty of learning opportunities, that's for sure, and um, definitely been a good exercise in humility on many fronts. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll maybe just focus on a positive. I, I, you know, I think one thing that's been really important um, and really clear for us has been, you know, how important, and this is the communication point I think that Jackie made before, you know, how important that is. So that, you know, making, you know, having a sense of trust within our team that we're all working together, you know, that the people are going to tell you what they think. Um, you know, that is so important to making, um, you know, good decisions in, in this kind of situation, especially when we're, you know, separated over... Um, you know, over, over computers as we are. Um, so I think that's something that I'm going to take away um, you know, that I've got to really work on um, and try and maintain in the future. Thanks for sharing, Chris. And um, Jackie? Um, actually, I guess, um, you know, along the lines that um, Charles was saying earlier, um, you know, because we do have this big focus on making sure we help our retirees um, win by losing less. The, um, the pillars of risk management that we have in place um, and taking a diversified approach to risk management um, is something we take really seriously because every crisis is different. And I think this one has kind of proven that a hundred times over. And so it's going to be really interesting to do the post-mortem at the end of this period and think through well, what, what other aspects could be thought of as defensive or what other um, sort of components to our investment strategy um, which had always been defensive previously, weren't defensive this time and, and why, and help us to sort of deepen that process for the future. 
yeah, it's a good one as well. And and, and finally, Charles. Yeah, um, I mean, there's just so much that we can do. Um, but I, I guess the key takeaway is, um, for me, is is don't just focus on um, kind of what's the obvious. Try to just look around the world and then try to think and broaden out the, the scenario analysis approach. Try to think about what else can really hit the portfolio. I mean, the speed of uh, this market drawdown was unprecedented. Um, and uh, yeah, so those all would all fit in into the future um, risk, uh, risk analysis and framework. Well, that brings us to time. So I really want to thank the, the three panellists. They've, they've shared really openly and I think you've you should, everyone should have gained good quality insights for them. So thank you each for your time. And with that, I hand back to Lawrence. Thank you, everyone.